0: Welcome to The Way Home with Laura Smith, the show that brings you wonderful guests, helpful advice, and uplifting stories. The Way Home. Live Inspired. Here's your host, Laura Smith.
1: Happy Easter, everybody. What a blessing to be here today. If you are coming home from church or on your way to brunch or something with your family, just uh, know that uh, my heart and spirit is alive with um, the love of this incredible day where we commemorate our Lord and Savior and also, um, everything that a resurrection means on every level of our lives. I'm so grateful that you chose to listen in today. Well, I have a show with a couple of different wonderful guests that I love. One is an author, Raymond Arroyo. He is a, a TV star on, on Fox News and he is also an author of many new children's books and he wrote a book a while ago called The Thief Who Stole Heaven it has um it's sort of framed around an old old story about one of the thieves who was on the side of Jesus when he was on the cross and how that came to be and that they were next to each other there um with something that you you won't even imagine But it's a beautiful story, and so I'm looking forward to hearing that again with Raymond Arroyo. And also, my dear friend, Regina Leitz, is here. She is known as the Zen Organizer. She has 35 years' experience on organizing and helping not only people one-on-one, but corporations as well. And she's written 10 books on the topic of organizing your life from the inside out. And she has so many wonderful tips. In fact, her New York Times bestseller, one Year to an Organized Life has just been revamped, and she really wants to include living a mindful life in a, in addition to it being organized. You will find all sorts of great affirmations in there and hear all these tips for living an organized life in a Zen way. It's all coming up and brought to you by our wonderful family at Balance of Nature, fruits and veggies in a capsule. Balance of Nature um, believes in programming with uh, voices for inspiration of positivity of God and what is natural in the earth, and the and the product is put together um, with nothing but pure fruits and vegetables, nothing else added. It truly is one of the most remarkable products that is was only formulated and put together um, to make people's lives healthier. And more nutrified, and just really, truly the way that we were supposed to live our lives. So Balance of Nature is available online at balanceofnature.com. Balanceofnature.com. And make sure when you order yours, you put my name into the promo code, Laura, and they'll know you heard it here on the way home. You'll get 35% off your first preferred order and also free shipping. When we come back, we're going to hear from both Raymond Arroyo and Regina Leeds. Don't go away. It's the way home on Easter.
0: Welcome back. You're listening to The Way Home with Laura Smith. Here's Laura.
1: I am so happy um, when I get to do this show with people that I have known from my past, but who are world changers at heart and people who have done such extraordinary things in their careers and their lives and such. And today on Easter, I thought, you know, springtime is truly a time of renewal, refreshment, um, oh, revitalization. I'm trying to think of all these rewords that it is. But um, what comes to mind when it comes to organizing is Regina. Mm-hmm. Regina Leeds is the Zen organizer. She is uh, an author of 10 books, uh, some of them bestsellers on the New York Times bestselling list. She has 35 years of one-on-one experience in helping people personally organize, not only their homes and their spaces, and but their hearts, their minds, and their spirits as well. And she has re-sort of uh, revisited one of her New York Times bestsellers called One Year to an Organized Life. And it's been updated and reused to include affirmations and mindful living into it because it's much more than space. She says it's about the space, space within. So I welcome to the program My friend of so many years and someone who we worked with in radio on Sirius XM many, many moons ago, Regina Leeds, thank you and happy Easter.
2: Oh, happy Easter to you, Laura. So wonderful to be here. So many people think
1: that, you know, the springtime or Easter time is truly a time of, you know, spring cleaning and getting organized. And for some people, it comes naturally. For other people, it's it's really something that they're almost uh, petrified of doing. And so you have this most incredible approach, which is why your book when you're to an organized life is is a bestseller because you approach it with a way that is so not only mindful, but it's so gentle and so um, life affirming. You make people who I think in the back of many people's mind when it comes to organizing, a lot of people have, have a lot of guilt for about what they're carrying around in their homes or just in their the chaos in their lives. And you bring this beautiful, gentle breeze of, listen, we're going to we're going to fix this part of your life, but it's going to be a gentle process. You're going to grow and learn in it. And I just love that about your work. And so thank you so much. I Where do we even start? This book is just so chock full of so much. And it's been, like I said, on the bestseller list, One Year to an Organized Life but you've added this new element to it so that people can really kind of approach it not just from a get your house clean perspective but but really kind of re- get to know yourself and and to approve of that and really you know bless your surroundings and bless bless yourself as well tell us where do we start
2: well i think there are two answers to that and if you are in the camp where You've never been organized and it terrifies you and you just think I'd rather do anything rather than get organized. Just begin very gently, begin small. And in the book, every chapter has a new habit to cultivate. So you, at the end of the year, you'd have 12 new habits and habits are just react actions that we repeat enough times that they are ingrained in us. And then we don't think about it. Like you don't have to break down brushing your teeth. You just know how to brush your teeth. And um, I would spend some time journaling about what, oh, where did this fear of organizing come from? It's usually your parents didn't teach you. I mean, it's a skill. If you don't know how to swim, it's because nobody taught you, not because you're some sort of a human failure. So if nobody taught you I'm here to teach you. Now is the time. And sometimes we have parents who, they're well-meaning, but they they don't know how to teach, so they shame us. And if you can go back and find the initial cause that made you think that organizing was a negative experience, you can put a new cause, a new belief in into motion and that will have positive results so i would say read the book through once get the mindfulness aspects of it i have um, in each month i have a self-care practice so when the stress and the and the fear and the worry come up you have a way to calm yourself down so that's one group of people for the other people i think um Organizing calls up Marie Kondo, and you think it's supposed to spark joy. And um, it's uh, you look on Instagram at all those perfect environments, and you think, oh, well, this is what I have to have, you know, everything decanted into glass containers in my pantry. And all of that is wonderful. And all of those instructions, should you want to go there, are in the book. I think, Laura, that organizing is deeper and richer and more emotional and more important than decanting and saying, I got a glass jar, I labeled it, I'm done. And I think it's a way to relieve stress because when you have control of your environment, you feel more in control in life. I think it's a way to self-soothe. And I think as... All these self-care practices like I have a breathing technique and a meditation technique. As you do these before you get organized, you suddenly realize, oh, wait a minute. I, I could do breathing exercises before an important meeting. I could do it before I continue an argument with my spouse i could say just give me a minute and i could go center myself and then come back and have this discussion from a place of peace and calm so organizing becomes just part of the fabric of your life not doing the junk drawer one week one weekend a year it's just deeper and richer and more wonderful than that it's so interesting
1: regina how it feels like it's tied to so many people's you know, sense of of well-being, how organized their life is or whether or not it feels like chaos when they open the door after a day of work. Do they feel so guilty because things are strewn about or maybe the dishes are still in the sink or maybe they know the refrigerator has been needed to be cleaned for weeks or months or something? It brings up anxiety. And, um, you know, the fact is people do need to clean out their junk drawers or they do need to to organize and clean. But but. To, to get around all that, you're saying there's some practices you can do. I like you have a lot of really wonderful suggestions. And again, Regina Leeds has such a way, but she's known as the Zen organizer. And that just tells you right away that her methodology is going to be something that makes you feel peaceful in the doing of it. It makes you feel gentle with yourself. It makes you feel kinder. And I think that there are so much to that. I'll I've told this story, I think once on this program before, but when I graduated from college, my parents lived in South America. I lived in New York all by myself and I moved into my very first apartment and I did not know a soul. And I got this little apartment, but there was so much to be done between unpacking boxes. I had to paint the apartment. There was no electricity yet. So I had to do all these big girl things that I had never had to do before. And my, I'll never forget, my back seized up and I couldn't walk. I couldn't move. And this was way before cell phones and everything else. And I went to a pay phone down the street and I called my parents collect and I was sobbing. And I said, I can't do this. I just can't do this. I'm so, uh, I can't, I can't walk. And And my, I'll never forget my wonderful, beautiful father who just passed four months ago said to me, you need to take it one thing at a time. Don't try to do it. It's not going to all get done today. Just do one task at a time. And I swear on a stack of Bibles to this day, the moment he said that, my back released and I could walk again and I could breathe again. And it was that sense of overwhelm that was just, it was so gently stated, you don't have to get it all finished today, but you yeah. have to just just start with one simple thing. So that's a lot of what I think your book um, teaches people that there are so many ways to get you to that place where you can just tackle it one at a time. And part of what, some of the wonderful ideas you have are a vision board. I like that idea and journaling. Tell us a little bit how how would that help you um, in getting organized in your life?
2: Well, I have a lot of journal prompts in every chapter, and then over time you start to come up with your own questions. Journaling helps you uncover. How did I get here? Because when you look at your environment, what you're really looking at is your mind. How you think and what's going on in your consciousness is outpictured in your physical environment. They can't be different. They have to be connected. They have to be the same. But here's the thing. You have, you created what you see which means you are in the driver's seat. It's not about looking at the chaos and thinking, oh, great, Regina, another reason to feel bad about myself, another excuse to beat myself up. No, it's a reason to celebrate how powerful you are and that now you have the choice to create something else. Um So journaling helps uncover the blocks and um, a vision board is a wonderful thing because sometimes we, we don't have a clear idea of what we want. But if you go, you know, now you don't even have to do it in physical form. You can do it on Pinterest or you can do it with the app Canva. But it helps if you can cull through thousands of images and say, Oh, here's the ideal kitchen, here's the ideal living room. And it's not that you have to copy that furniture, that particular way of being, it's I'm going to recreate the feeling that that room gives me. And we all deserve to live in environments that nurture and support us. When you come home at night, you should open the door and just have that feeling of, oh, thank God I'm home. In this space, I am loved, I am nurtured, I am supported. And then the ultimate within the home is the bedroom where you should really feel, you know, this is where I can go to unwind and relax. And we all, we all have stress, we all from time to time make bad decisions, but we're not bound by that. And um, right. so those are two tools. I I tell people one of the big things you can learn when you want to get organized, especially if you have time of trouble with time and paper management, learn how to say no, learn how to be a good teacher or mentor, and learn how to delegate. Because you know the ridiculous example is somebody gets elected president of the United States and he or she says, you know what I can do it all. I don't need a cabinet. I don't need a Joint Chiefs of Staff. I'm just going to do everything. Well, you know, unless you have a teeny, tiny, simple life, you can't do it all. Mm -hmm. And mentoring, even if it's just your children, allows you to share the wisdom that you have. And, you know, organizing is the gift that keeps on giving. If you teach your children that organizing is fun and creative, and it's a way to express self-love. It's a way to help you achieve your goals. That's a gift you give them that they in turn will not only give their children, but they will teach um, people probably when they go off to college and and have roommates or when they're at work. It's There's just no end to the goodness that comes from it.
1: Right. And I think there's ways of making it creative for kids and stuff. I just remember, you know, Your parents would say, clean up your room, clean up your room. And sometimes I wouldn't, sometimes I wouldn't. And when I, by the time I was in high school, I went to a summer school for for English and reading. And um, I'll never forget this professor would like make sure we had all the lights turned off at night. And he would come to my room, which was rather messy, messier than everyone else's, I might add. And he would say, Laura, a cluttered room leads to a cluttered mind. And I thought, oh that's my problem but actually i think what you're saying is it's a bit more of the inside out a cluttered mind leads to a cluttered room and therefore you know get a little bit more you know quiet and mindful and even if it means taking breaths and deep breaths and that you know then you can start to tackle the outside
2: well and laura i want to say the the I'm not dissing your parents in any way, but this is a universal. Parents say to their kids, clean up your room, pick up your room. Well, if your child doesn't have instructions and understands what you mean by that phrase and what you expect, kids go into their room and they just stand there and it's like, <laughs> I don't know what I'm supposed to do here. And uh, I love to work with teenagers. Um, we have a good time together. And I, I get permission for them to to have ownership of their space and and to make decisions about it. You know, they can't put the furniture out on the front lawn. But <laughs> right. But but the wonderful thing
1: about, you know, making these decisions and. You talk about in the book how, you know, some of us come from the paths that we come from and in the relationships where my father was the most meticulous, I mean meticulous, when he went on a business trip, everything was put in his suitcase exactly where he wanted it. He had everything organized. My mother was like. The mad scientist, she was the complete opposite. And consequently, now I'm not blaming them, but I have days where I'm so perfectly organized, I'm a, I amaze myself. And other days when I'm so haphazard and crazy that I feel like, what is going on here? But a lot of it is habits. You talk about changing habits. And I think a lot of us balk at that because we, we're not sure we can actually accomplish changing habits. But you say we can.
2: Absolutely. A habit to me is a repeatable action. And if you repeat that action for 21 consecutive days, it will be a part of you. So I have suggestions in the book and I say, don't, don't, don't do more than two at a time. Because one of the things we do, we get excited about things and then we overwhelm ourselves and then we set ourselves up to fail. And I want you to set yourself up to win. The simplest habit to create is to, Okay, don't put your keys. Oh, my. Put your keys in the same place the minute you walk in the front door, whether it's a hook on the wall or a little glass dish or some other kind of container. That saves time and energy and emotional output. Um, you can do the same for your glasses and your the remote for your TV. Have a designated spot for every item that you own. Then when you're looking for it, you know just where to go. It's not a it's not a, a, an Easter egg hunt. Where can the eggs be? You know exactly where they are. Um, that's a good one. Don't leave dishes languishing in the sink. Wash them. Don't leave, uh, the dried ones on the drain board or in the dishwasher. These start with little things that don't have any sort of, um, emotional juice. Mm. But as, uh, when I was at Ive Village, uh, we did a six-week challenge to get organized. And the first week, everybody wanted to be up on their feet. They thought they were going to be tearing their closet apart. And I said, no, we're going to work on habits. And I gave them five simple habits. And I said, just pick two. And the, oh, they were in revolt. They wanted to kill me. They said, this is nothing. And I said, just do it. Just try it. It's six weeks of your life. Surrender to me for six weeks and see what happens. And I cannot tell you how many women were so surprised. They said, My husband and children don't ever help in the kitchen, and all of a sudden they are. And I said, the simplest new habit that's positive in nature affects the energy, and people pick up on that, and then they want to be part of a good thing. And I also say, you know, do that at first. Do that for a couple weeks and just see who notices and how they change. And then the one thing I would say that parents need to have conferences with their children. Now, not two- and three-year-olds, but, you know, as they get older, especially teenagers, and say, that we're going to get organized, we're going to make some changes in the family, but I'm not the general making rules and regulations for everybody. I want your input. So they're a part of the solution, not just one of the causes of the problem. And then... I believe this in the depths of my soul. There have to be consequences. You can't spend hours and hours getting organized and then have people who dish you and disrespect you and don't put the dishes back where they belong or, you know, don't do, don't follow your model. But if you've had a discussion first, I think you're in a, a more powerful position and also Children go off to college and they don't have any idea how to take care of a space. I've had so many parents say to me, oh, no, I want my child to have a carefree childhood. And I I think, but they have to know about how to wash a dish, how to do laundry, how to take out trash, how to pay a bill. They have to know those things. You don't want them to be functional idiots who have to learn from other teenagers in their first apartment or in college. So it's It's again, it's a gift you're giving. It's not a punishment. And, you know, some people do use organizing as a way to punish and control. That's not what I'm advocating. That's not what I'm teaching at all. To me, it's an act of self-love that affects everybody in the environment. And it's creative and fun and gentle. Mm -hmm.
1: And it's so rewarding. Nothing, what feels better than cleaning out your purse, or cleaning out that junk drawer, or organizing your closet, it may be at the time not so fun. But I've learned to just put music on and you know make it somewhat joyful. And the feeling afterward is truly—I I, don't—I know it may be exaggeration, but it feels blissful sometimes.
2: Yes, it does. And you know, so I talk about mindfulness in the book, and I, I say. I'm going to give you some choices to elevate what it is you're doing. So if you have a, uh, the kitchen that's perfect, the pantry that's all decanted and everything is in a glass container and it's all labeled and it's all beautiful, then what happens in the kitchen? This is where we nurture ourselves with food. So take your awareness another step and be conscious about the food you're buying and where you buy it. Is there a local farmer's market that you could support a local farmer? Um, if you are, I'm vegan, but if you are a meat eater, can you find a local farm where they are doing humane raising and humane slaughter? Can you have meatless Monday where you can tr- contribute to your own health? Just look at it that way. When your closet is perfectly organized, fashion is a polluting industry saying never buy anything new by any stretch of the imagination, but maybe it behooves you to buy an item that's a little more expensive and well-made that will last for many, many, many years than fast fashion. You know, we keep buying things and then we take them to a place like Goodwill and we say, well, you know, at least I donated it. But Goodwill doesn't have the space for all of our castoffs, that's why some of what they get, go. they make the decision to take it to the landfill for us. So it's just about looking at the ramifications of every action we take. And I think it makes life a little more, there's no downside to being more conscious and more mindful.
1: Absolutely. None whatsoever. And when you read Regina's books, all of them, but especially one that she has sort of revamped and and updated known as One Year to an Organized Life. And it's really a way to create and live a mindful lifestyle in addition to learning how to organize. You will will feel uplifted and you will grow and hopefully you'll start new healthy habits that will make you just Feel good about yourself all the time. Regina Leeds, I, from the moment I met you, I knew you were something very special. And when we worked together on Sirius XM and you had your show and you were just doing so many things. And here you are all these many years later and just even the most beautiful version of yourself and all that you espouse Mm -hmm. and all you teach. and And I know that you do it not only for one on one, but you also do it with corporations like a corporation can invite you in to help organize from everything from the culture to the closet at the the job. So I I just think you have so much to offer, and I want everybody to know your name, Regina Leeds, the Zen Organizer, all her handles on social media, Zen Organizer. Thank you for joining us on this Easter Sunday, when many of us are just about ready to do our major spring cleaning for the year. Thank you so much.
2: It was a privilege. Thank you, Laura.
1: You're listening to The Way Home. We'll be right back.
0: Welcome back. You're listening to The Way Home with Laura Smith. Here's Laura.
1: Well, I am so excited to have somebody back on my program who wrote a book that made it not only to the New York Times bestseller list, but also to Amazon's uh, bestseller list, Barnes and Nobles, USA Today, you name it. And it must be because uh, maybe there's actually a hunger for real, true stories, beautiful stories, uh, stories with uh, content that uplifts one's spirit and one's soul. Uh, He is a Fox News contributor. He's also the host of The World over live on EWTN, which is the Global Catholic Network. And um, I am just so grateful to have him back. He's one of my favorite commentators in the whole wide world. I don't know if he knows that. Raymond Arroyo, thank you so much for being back on the way home.
3: Laura, delighted to be here.
1: I, you know, I loved so much The Spider Who Saved Christmas, a beautiful, beautiful picture book. Um, that's, uh, was, I guess, the first installment in what you're calling your legend series. Um, it can, it's for old and young alike, a picture book though that is just, Unparalleled with the most beautiful pictures in the world. Well, uh, since that made it all the way, you know, to the bestseller list of all of them, uh, you have a second one that just right. dropped beautiful, um, uh, another book, The Thief Who Stole heaven. Raymond, it's gorgeous. I love oh, this one. You. too. I, w- I was wondering which one do I like better? Hard to tell. So tell us a little bit first about well, the legend series and then about the, the thief who stole heaven. I think the story is incredible.
3: Well, they sort of fit together the spider book and this new thief who stole heaven, um, because in some ways, the thief who stole heaven is a prequel to the spider book, because if you notice, even in the illustrations in the book, it's the same illustrator, a fellow named Randy Gallagos. And Randy and I were very determined that uh, Mary, Joseph, the baby Jesus that you see in this book, look exactly as they did in the spider book. And this is basically what happens as the Holy Family leaves uh, Bethlehem on their way to Egypt. And, you know, it's really technically not a legend. This is the origin story of Dismas, the good thief. And we all hear about this thief. We remember him hanging on the cross next to Jesus, but nobody knows anything about him. Well, I stumbled across St. Augustine, John Chrysostom, uh, Gregory the Great. All these church fathers and historians had written about Dismas and his backstory. And when I read it, I thought, why haven't I ever come across this tale anywhere? And it turns out, and I don't want to ruin the story, but I'll tease it a little bit that this thief may have met Jesus much earlier when Jesus was but a newborn child mm-hmm. and how that little moment in his history may have shaped what eventually becomes this great act on Good Friday. You know, St. uh, Saint, uh Augustine says, Tismas, the good thief, may be the evangelist of Calvary, and that he's the first story of Easter, which we don't often think about." Laura, mm-hmm. um, you know, this is the guy, not the apostles, not the saints. It is this common thief, this murderer, who is the first guy who bursts through the gates of heaven. And I thought somehow this story had to be told. And originally, I was going to tell it in in a little novella, like a little chapter book, but when I started thinking about the best platform for this particular tale, I wanted it to be a family read. And that that's really what I consider all of these books. I consider them family reads, not children's books or kids' books, because what I've discovered is, and I saw it with the spider and I see it with the audience for The Thief Who Stole Heaven, grandmother's grandparents, aunts, uncles, moms, and dads will read it with their children, and they both come to their own understandings and questions, and that interplay is what I'm really looking for, that conversation. And had I written this as a chapter book, we wouldn't have that family conversation. So these are all family reads in my mind, and the perfect message for Easter, that hope never fails, and mercy is eternal till the very end of your life.
1: I always that that part of the, you know, the story uh, of Easter and the crucifixion and, you know, what happened to uh, Jesus with the two thieves on either side of him. Now, you say the good thief, right, because there was a second thief who was on the other side who who, when he heard Dismas say to Jesus, you know, have mercy on me, uh, you know, and wanting to go into heaven with him or whatever. And the and the bad thief was like, what are you crazy? You're not going anywhere like heaven, you know, basically. (sighs) And um, that to me was one of the most touching, amazing things. And then when Jesus goes on to say, forgive them for they know not what they do, Mm -hmm. it just that is something that I think is probably in a nutshell, the Christian message and and has always. Um, it's been such a challenge, you know, for I think about, you know, where I am and my my spiritual growth. And I, I think often to that moment up on Calvary and so that you've put it into this story this way, like you said, family discussion. Now, this leads me, Raymond, because I, I listen to you all the time um, on Fox News. Your commentaries are just exquisitely done. I mean, you're not like a regular old news announcer. You're, you're a true artist. Your gift of language is so beautiful and you ha- you're funny sense of humor. And I just wondered about you this week, thinking that we were going to do this about, you know, the whole cancel culture of Dr. Seuss and everything and how Mm. You know, we it's so prevalent and I want to get your take on that. But what you said about this being a family story and the mere fact that the spider who saved Christmas went to the top of bestsellers of all those publications, of all those lists. It says to me that regardless of how cancel culture seems to be happening in this in this country, the real hunger is for these uplifting stories, things that bring people and human beings together. Correct or not? Well,
3: uh, look, Laura, I I think the good the beautiful, the true people still crave. And all of my stories, look, these, these family reads anyway, they are, these are traditional stories that I've put a new sheen on that I've uh, interpreted or approached in a new way. And I see all of this as just, look, we're all writing the same story. You know, we're writing one story and it's the story of redemption uh, good versus evil. That's what every story I've ever written is about on some level. And um, certainly this book, this is about the war. The Thief Who Stole Heaven is about a guy who kind of, an, you know, one of the reviewers said he's like Aladdin meets the chosen. You know, it's yeah. it's a he's a swashbuckling thief, a robber, kind of dashing. Kids love this pirate ideal. So it appeals to them on that level. But then they encounter this guy as a young child. He's brought into this tribe of thieves and taught how to rob on the highways of uh, Judea. And what we see is this guy making really bad decisions and where it takes his life. But in the middle of that, in the midst of that, he has this brush with grace. He has this encounter with the Christ child and the seed that plans that doesn't really blossom till the end of his life. I thought was a tale worth telling. And when you talk about cancel culture, I mean, I, my thought on that, that runs absolutely counter to the message of this book and really the message of, of the gospel and humanity, which is mercy, forgiveness, a path back redemption, and I worry about just striking people from the book of life, striking them from the public square, because you might disagree with them on this or that. Uh, that's not how I live my life. Goodness knows if everybody had to agree with me uh, about my musical taste, my literary taste, the way I like people to dress, I wouldn't talk to anybody. I might talk to one person or two people and they all live in my house. So, you know, I, I, it's uh, this is a really bad policy. Um, In public life, and it's ruinous to our children, because if you don't look times change and uh, art changes and appetites and sensibilities change, but you need to educate children and young people as to why these depictions are offensive to some um, and might not work today and then learn from that and go on. What's happening by canceling it, you're making it taboo. And like anything else, you know, if you tell a child, whatever you do, don't go in that closet. You cannot open that closet door. Exactly. Never go there, Johnny. The first thing Johnny's going to do when you go out is open that closet door. And that's what's going to happen to these works. You saw how they skyrocketed on Amazon the moment they yes. were canceled. They'll become, uh, uh, you know, th- these underground hits. People will start reading them. And worse, I think we may see a replication of the thing people are seeking to stamp out rather than learning from the example of what went before and why those depictions were in place.
1: Yeah, it's ironic. So that disturbs
3: me. I don't like that idea.
1: I don't like that either. I I, something tells me because it's so not based in reality and truth and what people truly, you know, believe in. I, I have a feeling it's it's. Hopefully, cancel culture will just kind of be you a know, phase it and, and be gone because people will see that it it doesn't it doesn't do a sim, sim simple thing. And also right. to the fact that the tragedy and the irony of the fact that something like what was displayed on the Grammy Awards the other night, you know, the Cardi B thing like that's OK. And, you know, according to like whoever the producers were that felt that that was OK to put that out there, knowing full well that there would be kids watching the Grammy Awards. And and yet that's just that's nothing's even said about that. It's no big deal. But, you know, get Dr. Seuss and Mr. Potato involved. And boy, you know, they're acting as though, you know, well, it, it's I all upside Look, down.
3: Part of what I'm trying to do with the with the Spider series, I mean, with the Spider book, with the, the Thief Who Stole Heaven, We go through the motions, Laura, during these holidays, and we kind of, oh, here comes the egg and bunny season, and then people move on. You know, Uh, here comes Santa Claus, and you move on. I'm forcing people or wanting families to stop for a moment and consider what is this time really about, and what are the roots of this holiday? And I've tried to touch on both of them in these two books, and this book, "The Thief Who Stole Heaven," is really—I I think of it as an arc, a bridge between Christmas and Easter. And if we immerse ourselves in the true, the beautiful, and the good, and revive the the roots of what we stand on and the roots of these holidays, that is how you perpetuate a healthy and a good culture. And then you don't have to worry about Cardi B and what she's doing at the Grammys. Nobody watched the Grammys. They're down 55%, 58% from the abysmal ratings of last year. But Mm -hmm. that's when you put music behind Social conditioning and and um, and politics and frankly gratuitous displays that I don't even want to call to mind here. Um, you know that's the the rapper who stole the culture is going to be the name of that book. <laughs> um, but it's a it's a very uh, it's a very dark depiction of humanity and it's angry, it's divisive, it's nasty, and I don't think it's what anyone wants for our children or even for ourselves. And so. I try to create works that are entertaining, uplifting, creative. Um, invite a sense of awe and remind us of the reality that we really occupy. And that's one where good and evil are vying for you and for your families. And um, and hope never fails. And it's never too late. I had a letter the other, day, which is you that, cut out um,
1: just for a second there, Raymond. No. A friend so of mine this- who's
3: in prison ministry got a, a copy of the book to this child, and it just helped them. Kind of, you know, they're in a very obviously very different situation than than you or I, but it helped them put together, uh, and the father as well. This idea that they weren't lost, and the child could understand. Oh, here's someone who's in the situation my father's in, and yet God's glance doesn't turn away from them. God never abandons, and His His glance. Um, which is a big theme in this book, mm-hmm. stays on th- this this individual and all of us. It, the, you know, sin doesn't invalidate um, grace or what you were built for. It's an impediment to it, but it's not it's not a, 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 an obstacle for God.
2: It's
1: the human story for everyone at some point in their lives, looking yeah. for mercy and grace and such. Um, Raymond, since you said this is a in the second installment, I'm going to assume there's a third.
3: We'll see. I'm I'm looking. I'm always on the lookout for a new a new you know perspective, a new on ramp to these stories. We know, but you know the the thing that I loved about this is I like to take things that you think you know, and I do this in my on air work as well. I mean, it's, this is what I do in my TV interviews. I bring you people that you think you know. We sit down, and in the course of that interview, you learn things about them or have a new perspective on them that you never did. And that's really what I'm trying to do here. But this is the origin of the good thief. This is what made him good. And we don't often think about that and that journey that he went on. But there's a lot of uh, historical evidence, Peter Damien, John Chrysostom, uh, and others who've written about uh, the the backstory of this good thief of Dismas. And I thought if we could somehow can capture this. Um, the first person to celebrate Easter. And that really is who Dismas ends up being.
1: Yeah. Oh, uh, that gives me. I,
3: I, I, I wanted to save the holiday from bunnies and eggs as nice and sweet as those are. This, <laughs> this is another way for families and kids to appreciate why we have bunnies and eggs and those pastel colors and Easter baskets. This is why to celebrate this moment. And uh, it's a big one. It's an important one.
1: It is. And it normally when you when people um, veer towards more of the spiritual aspect of the holiday, it's mostly about the the crucifixion and the resurrection, of course. But I love that you picked out this particular aspect of it that maybe we haven't thought about for a long time or maybe didn't know there was a little more to the story. I yep. love That's what you seem to have a gift at doing, Raymond Arroyo. So I can't wait for your next one, because, you know, if you think about it, every one of those, uh, there's so many stories in the Bible that like can be that are probably worth embellishing on and and get finding out even more into them. And I'm sure there's hundreds of them. I just hope that you just keep dropping these books every every couple of months. I just think uh, it's it's what the world needs now. And again, those illustrations are just they I think in your press release, it says something about they're cinematic almost. And it's true when you look at them, you feel like you're looking at a a, a movie scape. They're just the colors are so vibrant. It just reminds me of when I was little and we had those big picture books and that your right. whole world, yeah, was you right there in front kids. of you.
3: You know, children are very visual and, and people are visual today. And, and uh, you know, a big book commitment they're not going to make, but they will read a picture book together and go and d- dive into it as one. And I think um, Randy did a wonderful job here. We were very uh, deliberate in using color, in using the, and there are a lot of Easter eggs in this book. Uh, no pun intended. Uh, little little hidden illustrations, the the use of light in the background of this book. So you are, I guess, on a subconscious level, you're taking in the the, the, the vibrancy and brightness of this young boy. And then you see the darkness move in and, and overwhelm him, overtake him. And then the lights come back on at the end. Um, and that's all of our stories That that I think touches all of us in some way. So we wanted it to be a visual adventure, and it is an adventure for kids. But he's a character that we know about, but don't spend any time on. And I love just you you know when I'm working on these books, doing research. You're not only you learning a lot; you're immersing yourself, you're marinating in these stories. And uh, when you think about it, Dismas, the good thief, aside from Mary, is maybe the only person who witnesses the child Jesus at the beginning of his life and is there for the crucifixion at the end. Mm-hmm. He's the only person that bridges that gap. And we just don't think about that. And maybe we should.
1: Yes, absolutely. I encourage everybody to do that. And not only with the, the equal to the beautiful pictures is the beautiful language in which you write. Raymond, you have a way of speaking when you're on TV, whether you're being funny or whether you're writing a book that it it kind of throws me back to a little bit more. Um, Classic, traditional, maybe even eloquent in, in spots. You have a way of painting with your beautiful words, oh, and it's it, and you. language. I think is just so important. It's something I think children need to be taught the beautiful gift of of, of language, and and you're you've right. done that so beautifully. I still say, like I said in my last show with you, I want you to try out for the uh, Jeopardy uh, role. <laughs>
3: I, 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 I remember I that. Was, well, yeah, I look I'm serious. Uh, I lo- I I I was trained as a as an actor and the, my favorite actors were always uh Laurence Olivier whom I met when I was very young um, um uh Frank Langella I I I you know uh Christopher Plummer who we just lost uh, I I always had a um preference for those actors who were eloquent and had uh Spent the time to think through. And if you notice, none of those men had disastrous public lives, as so many today do. Um, So I I, that and growing up on television, my favorites were always Johnny Carson, Regis Philbin, a guy named Mm -hmm. Tom Schneider, all of whom had a little elegance about the way they conducted Mm -hmm. their broadcast life. And um, so that's what I grew up in. That's what I you know, who I I um spent time watching and whom I loved. So naturally, I want to extend that tradition. And I do feel I'm a little bit of a part of that.
1: You absolutely um, are. I thank you, Raymond Arroyo, for coming on The Way Home again. And I just want to remind everyone, The Thief Who Stole Heaven. You can get it anywhere where fine books are sold. Raymond Arroyo, thank oh, you. Oh, so- thank
3: you, Laura. Happy Easter. Your-
1: Happy Easter to you, too. And thanks again for the wonderful book. Thank you. You're listening to The Way Home. We'll be right back.
0: Welcome back. You're listening to The Way Home with Laura Smith. Here's Laura.
1: So great to be with you on an Easter Sunday. I hope you are enjoying all the beauty of what this day symbolizes for all of us. And I'm so grateful to be here with you and uh, bringing wonderful guests. And, of course, good news, which we do at the end of every story. There's no better news than the story of Easter. But we will try with Jim Cleafield... He goes out there and he finds lovely stories from the Internet. So, Jim, happy Easter. And what do you have for us?
0: Happy Easter to you all. And uh, it's a really wonderful story. I'm going to tell you the story about a homeless odd couple, a very unusual odd couple that just found a new home. Now, I'm not referring to Felix and Oscar. Not exactly. I'm talking about Felix and Cinnamon. Felix is a dog. Cinnamon is a goat. Now, the story begins when these two were living with uh, someone, an owner in uh, Raleigh, North Carolina, not that far long ago, and uh, the owner is unable to care for them anymore, so they were eventually sent to an animal shelter, the Wake County Animal Center. That's where they were kept. And the shelter eventually posted this adorable picture of this unique couple on Facebook because they say, look, we're looking for a new home, a perfect home for these two, but there is a stipulation here. They have to be taken together. This is a package deal, folks. I mean, because they are, as we like to say, best furry friends forever. You am know, best friends forever. It's just that like, you know, they have their fur in there, you say. And so what happened was uh, there was a woman who owns a farm in North Carolina by the name of Jackie Banks who stepped up to the plate and said, you know, I will take these two. I would like to have them. It's wonderful because they are going to be our forever adoptive home on this farm. She has goats and dogs and we're going to take these two and they're going to interact with my goats and dogs and they're just going to live happily ever after. But the story doesn't end right there, you see. Because what happened is after this was on viral on Facebook, uh, there was a nonprofit that stepped forward called the Mr. Mo Project run by Chris and Marissa Hughes and this is a nonprofit that adopts senior dogs nationwide. So you know what they decided to do? Because let's face it, Jackie who owns the farm. I mean, that's enough stress to care for all those other animals. They're going to do something extra special. They're going to take the financial stress off of her when it comes to medical care. They have offered to pay health care for these two, Cinnamon and Felix, for life for as long as they both shall live. Now, you can imagine how that just makes her feel because I just she has enough animals as it is. So it just not only she adopts it, but it's just really good for her. And, I, and for these two, this goat and the dog, I mean, because they really are close. I mean, they sleep together. They've lived together. So she was able to take them both. And I'm sure they're doing really well on that farm. Wow.
1: That's great. That is so great. I yeah. have friends in North Carolina who have goats and they the the pictures they post are absolutely hilarious these goats the personalities are are really something so to ha- see a goat and a dog together it would be even cuter i bet well that's wonderful and people are so very good And on that note, I thank you both, Bob and and Jim, for being so good always when we do the show, even on a holiday like today, on a very special and important day as Easter. To all of you listening, thank you so much. May you have a continued blessed day and year as well. And we'll see you next time on the way home. Lots of love. I'm Laura Smith.